What is faith? Religious folk like to talk a lot about faith. We talk about having faith, living faith, practicing faith. We talk about being faithful. We talk about the content of our faith, the precepts of our beliefs, and why we believe them. Sometimes it's stated that religious folk don't require any kind of evidence for belief or that it is belief in the absence of knowledge. And that idea misses the whole point of religious and spiritual faith. I'm, I'm often asked why I take the time to reference various words in my sermons, to, to go through definitions of various words, especially from the biblical languages. And it's true that sometimes I do a little bit too much word study in my exploration of the passages of Scripture. Um, I find that my understanding of the Scriptures is often informed and amplified, enriched and enhanced by a study of the original languages of the Bible and of critical words of importance in any given passage of Scripture. I know that annoys some people, while others find it interesting. And the teacher in me tries to balance it out so that sometimes I'm dealing with the etymological roots of words and trying to understand the translations that we have in the Bible based upon my study of those words. And other times, I simply try to apply them to give them life and meaning and application for everyday living, which is the whole point, by the way, of studying the Bible. Today, we're going to be taking a look at one of those words, one of those words that you find repeatedly in the Bible again and again and again and again and again, a word that we use all the time, and sometimes we do not really grasp its meaning, and that the word is faith. The word is faith. Now, it's rather fortunate that the New Testament was written in Greek. The Roman Empire encompassed multiple languages across its breadth and depth, north and south and east and west. It, it had many languages, but it had two principal languages. In the west, it had the language of Latin, and in the east, it had the language Greek. Now, Latin was the language of administration in the empire. And Greek was the language of learning and education, of philosophy and literature and science. If you were educated in the Roman Empire in Jesus' day, you spoke and read Greek. You might know Latin, you'd know the language of your region wherever you were from, but you would be able to be conversant with, if you were educated in any respect, you could speak and you could read and write in Greek. Greek is a very useful language. It wasn't just that it was spoken by a huge portion of the ancient world. Uh, it provides a degree of precision that few other ancient languages do in articulating complex and subtle ideas. Hebrew is highly poetic, where context is absolutely important for understanding the meaning of various words. Hebrew is there. That's it. Hebrew is a contextual language. It's a poetic language. It's a language in which there's a lot of ambiguity as to meaning, and it depends upon the context in which something is said to determine what its precise meaning is. 
Well, not Greek. Greek is very precise, very unambiguous. For example, in the indicative mood alone, it has seven tenses. Conjugation in Greek is a real pain, friends. It's the thing I least looked forward to when studying Greek and then when teaching it. It has three past tenses, imperfect, perfect, and aorist. It also has a rather dynamic vocabulary. It borrowed words from all over the ancient world. In many respects, it has some similarities to English in that regard. It borrowed, we borrow words from everywhere. So did Greek in the ancient world. One of those concepts or ideas that has multiple words to communicate it, depending upon the nuance, is the word for faith. In Greek, you've got three words for faith. Dogma and dokeo are the two common words for faith, and they both mean belief or idea or opinion. We have the word dogma in English as well. Dogmas are the formal precepts and content of religious or cultural belief. These words point to the content of belief. They point to one's opinions about certain beliefs. They don't imply action, but rather they imply a stated position and the content of that position. The other Greek word for faith is pistis. Pistis is one of the most frequently used words in the New Testament for faith. Jesus uses it in the Gospels. Paul, John, and Peter all use it in their letters. James uses it here in the letter in the reading today from the letter of James. Pistis is found both in a noun form and it's found in a verb form. There's faith as a substance, a thing, and there's faith as an action. And that's what we're looking at today. So what do I mean by faith as a substance or faith as an action? Well, here, I got an illustration for you. Now, this is a very good-looking chair. I really like it. Firstly, it looks good. It's made of wood. It has a nice pattern on the back. It has arms, so it's easy to get out of. It has a cushion for your posterior to sit on and be comfortable. There's nothing worse than a pastor's chair that has a hard place to sit. You want to get out of it very quickly, friends, trust me. This chair is very comfortable. It looks nice. It's sturdy. It held my weight last uh, many Sundays that I've been here. Last uh, four, eight, nine Sundays that I've been here. It's a nice chair. It's a very nice chair. You know, I think this chair will hold me. That I could sit in that chair and it won't go collapsing to the ground. I think this chair will hold my weight. I will be comfortable to sit in this chair. I won't have any trouble doing that. I really and truly believe that this chair will hold me. But I think I'm going to go over here and sit in George's lap. You ready for me, George? That would be silly, right? He just nodded. 
This chair, I believe it'll hold me. But until I sit in the chair, I don't have faith in the chair. I may have dogma in the chair. I may have dokeo in the chair. I may believe. I may have an opinion that it'll hold me. But until I sit in it, I don't have faith in the chair. This is faith in the chair. This is more faith in the chair. I could get up and stand on this chair and jump up and down, and that would be silly faith, but it would still be faith in the chair. It might collapse under me, in which case it's misplaced faith in the chair. Faith is taking your belief and putting it into action. Faith is taking your belief, in this case, belief that the chair will support me, and then actually sitting in the chair, actually doing something about that belief, actually applying that belief. That's faith. Faith is belief applied. Faith is belief put into action. And that's what James is saying here today. He's saying that faith without works is dead, that faith without action, without actually doing something about your belief is meaningless. Indeed, faith that doesn't have action isn't really faith. It may be dogma, it may be dokeo, but it's not pistis, it's not faith. It's not faith until you do something about it. If you see somebody who's hungry and you wish them a blessing, but don't do anything to feed them, you are not practicing faith. But if you wish someone blessings, eat your fill, and then you give them the food to eat, you are practicing your belief. You're putting your belief into action. And that's what faith is. Faith is a really simple concept, but we mix it up with ideas like the content of our belief, our dogmas. Think about it for just a minute. The church has lots of dogmas, lots of points of faith, of points of belief. We have the creeds of the church, like the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed and the Creed of the United Church of Canada and the Creed of the Korean Methodist Church and the Modern Creed. We have lots of creeds, uh, proclamations or uh, affirmations of faith, all these doctrines about Jesus, about God, about salvation. But none of those things, those ideas, those beliefs mean anything if we do not live them, if they don't change how we live, if our living doesn't reflect them, they are meaningless for us. Hence we say that Jesus is God incarnate in human flesh and that Jesus comes and teaches us a way of life and a way of treating others and a way of forgiving and a way of accepting and a way of offering food to eat and healing and forgiveness. 
than if we don't do it. If we don't live the life that Jesus lived and called us to live, then we don't have faith in Jesus. We don't really believe if we don't act. Just as my believing this chair would hold me, and then going down there and sitting in George's lap isn't faith in the chair. It may be belief, but it's not faith. Sitting in the chair means I've taken the belief and placed it into action and made it faith. Until we do the same relative to our beliefs in Jesus, relative to our beliefs in God, relative to our beliefs about what Jesus did for us and who Jesus is for us, until we actually act upon those beliefs and start treating other people differently based upon those beliefs, until we start living our lives governed by the beliefs and the teachings and the presence of Jesus, we don't have faith. I'll take it a step further. In the sacrament of Holy Communion, in the bread and in the cup, we receive the real presence of Jesus anew and afresh in our lives when we eat and drink with faith. When we come and we eat and we drink the elements, we are receiving into ourselves anew and afresh the real abiding presence of Jesus. But what does that real and abiding presence of Jesus do? Last Sunday we talked about the imparted Word that's able to save our souls. That imparted Word is Jesus' life living within us. Well, if we don't live that way, if we don't live as the hands and the feet of Jesus, if we don't live as the lips and the ears of Jesus, if we don't live as the heart and the eyes of Jesus in a broken and hurting world, then we can eat and drink the communion all we want. But we don't have faith in Jesus. We're called to come and eat and drink and receive Christ's presence into us and then go out those doors into this world to share that presence with others, to share the love of God, the forgiveness of God, the presence of God, the grace of God with all. Until we do it, until we practice what we believe, we don't have faith. Well, Greg, that means I've got to change some things that I'm doing. Yep, so do I. We have to be ready and willing to change. Ready and willing to open ourselves to how God is going to change us. Ready and willing to receive the implanted Word that will call us to reach out to others, to welcome the stranger, be they dressed in fine clothes or in dirty jeans and a torn t-shirt, be they rich or be they poor, be they white or black, be they male or female, straight or gay, Democrat or Republican, doesn't matter. We're called to receive all as we have been received by God with grace and love and acceptance and outstretched arms. As you come to the table of the Lord today and receive the sacrament, 
of Christ's presence anew. Act in faith. Don't just believe that Jesus is there, but then take Jesus with you and be Jesus' hands to those you meet and be Jesus' love to those you meet and welcome all with the grace of Christ. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And may God's people say, Amen. It is right and a good and a joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity, made covenant to be our sovereign God, and spoke to us through your prophets. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven. We praise your name and join their unending hymn, saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you, and blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ. Your Spirit anointed him to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to announce that the time had come when he would save your people. He healed the sick, fed the hungry, and ate with sinners. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. When the Lord Jesus ascended, he promised to be with us always in the power of your word and Holy Spirit. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, the Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup and he gave thanks to you. And he gave the cup to his disciples and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us, as we proclaim the mystery of the faith, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine, 
Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by His blood. By Your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory, and we feast at His heavenly banquet. Through Your Son, Jesus Christ, with Your Holy Spirit and Your Holy Church, all honor and glory is Yours, Almighty God, now and forever. Amen. As our Savior Christ has taught us, let us pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But mine is the kingdom and the power and the glory.